Today's TripCast is presented by CFA Society's Texas Investor Summit. Hear from industry insiders, discover alternative strategies beyond traditional investing, and network with the Texas investment community. Register at cfatexas.org. And Lone Star College. Learn why 95,000 students choose LSC for affordable access to high-quality higher education. Nationally recognized, globally connected, and locally focused. Learn more at www.lonestar.edu. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, oh, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, oh, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are in Texas guys Hola, me llamo Oscar Longoria, representante estatal del Distrito 35. Cheers to anyone who picked South Carolina upsetting Duke this past weekend in the NCAA tournament. And now to begin your March Madness trip cast, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the fourth week of March. I'm joined by CEO Evan Smith. You, I hear you did a good job um, moderating the Tribcast last week. I was okay. I mean, I'd say was, so, yeah. It was fine. Oh, stop it. You already have the job. Stop kissing my butt. <laughs> he wasn't particularly enthusiastic, though. Who's Svitek? Yeah. No, Have you spent time with him? That was, like, wildly enthusiastic by Svitek yeah. standards. Uh, speaking of, political reporter Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. Oh, that's all that's, that's, yeah, that's, 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 that's more normally. And political Low editor, highs and high lows. Aman Batija. Hello. Speaking of not enthusiastic. <laughs> Mr. Lack of Enthusiasm. You got anything to say there, Amon? You're going to let me speak. Go. Oh. <laughs> the floor is yours. Oh, man. Jeez. All right. Well, just um, for that. Well, speaking of... <laughs> I'm not talking. Speaking of a lack of enthusiasm, it seems like uh, lawmakers in the House and Senate have been a little less than enthusiastic about uh, some of Greg Abbott's priorities. Uh, let's talk about what's in the budget and what isn't in the budget as far as what Abbott would like to see. Sure, Amon. <laughs> Jump in there. Did you raise your hand? Right. thought there might have been a question there coming. <laughs> nope. No questions. Uh, well, Senate Finance just uh, voted out their budget to the full Senate. It is bigger than it was when it uh, when they first uh, laid it out. It's $106.3 billion. That includes uh, $2.5 billion from they're going to get from transportation. It was This was money voters approved, uh, and it's supposed to get transferred to roads uh, soon, but they're going to delay it so that it uh, gets pushed to the next biennium, and that's $2.5 billion That So voters told them to do one thing, and they're saying, actually, we're not going to do it. They're, they're characterizing yet. it as a delay. <laughs> Got it. But um, there is still not money or not much money in there for uh, Abbott's uh, pre-K initiative, which he's requested. I think it's $118 million each year. And uh, the House hasn't given him anything, and the Senate has given him, I believe, $65 million, And that's only after Abbott visited Jane Nelson directly to Make ask, his case? Yeah. Visited. <laughs> well, Evan's using air quotes. Well, my understanding is that it was not a, a particularly, it wasn't like a, a hi-ho friendly meeting, <laughs> <laughs> isn't it? Um, and so, all right. Um, that would be like like Rocky beating Apollo Creed is visiting Apollo Creed. I mean, come on, isn't it yeah. a visit? It was a, it was a meeting. It was a, okay. it's Come right. to Jesus meeting. Are there some other things that, I mean, didn't Abbott want this funding for, um, you know, to, to lure like high dollar university professors and haven't the House and Senate? Yeah, I mean, budget? he was he was reportedly upset about things, uh, other budget items besides just his pre-K initiative, including his governor's university research initiative, 
um, I believe, uh, film incentives, um, and then also the Texas Enterprise Fund, which if you recall— So he wants the film incentives. I, I believe so. I mean, this yes. is a program that is uh, operated out of his office. He fought hard for it last session. Yeah. I just wondered if in a tight budget environment, if there are things that the governor I don't know exactly what for. funding level he's seeking, right. but he's definitely looking to, I think, protect the, the program or the initiative. Well, that's a that's a little controversial little. Nugget. Yeah. And this is inter- there was a you know, there was a Senate <laughs> committee hearing uh, last week where uh, there were two bills that were heard by Bob Hall that would dismantle uh, film incentives in the governor's office. And then also right. some uh, incentives for, you know, sporting events and other major uh, touristy events. My, my understanding from the House side of it is that the governor is not likely to be any happier with the House budget than he is with the Senate budget in the sense that the governor is asking for quite a bit more than is available in the House budget for his priorities. And the reality is that if the governor wants to come out and advocate for taking money out of the rainy day fund, it might be possible to free up some more dollars. But I'm not right. sure that but he the hasn't governor. Done that. Well, in fact, not only has he not come out for it, he's He's cautioned against. He not cautioned against. Yeah, I mean, um, this is a big question right now. It. What was the verb? Yeah, he, he used? said looting, he said looting, looting yeah. it, looting it. Yeah, I mean, which he hasn't been clear. You know, is a yeah, billion yeah, dollars yeah, looting yeah. when you've got over ten billion in there? But um, uh, just our budget reporter Edgar Walters reported that uh, Strauss was asked about the Senate's budget that they just Senate Finance just passed, and uh, he compared it to Enron. I think yes, he he it. A lot of Senate dirty tricks. was Enron-esque. <laughs> that, I'm I think he also you, called just, it gimmickry. There is yeah. so this much is, shade being gim- thrown. Gimmickry. Gimmickry. gimmickry is like a Strauss cuss word. I mean, yeah. that, like by, by Straussian terms, that was like, go fuck yourself, right? Mm. Saying, gim- saying gimmickry. I mean, that's like, you know, the, the speaker yeah. has really figured out how to make a fist this session in a way that, in my experience, he has not done as frequently or as enthusiastically in past sessions. Uh, is it a fist or is it a shield? I mean, you know, because we have Dan Patrick. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a fist. Well, I I mean, I feel like Dan Patrick is the one who, if we're going to play the sort of schoolyard thing, I mean, Dan Patrick started it. You know, you have Dan Patrick basically, you know, saying all these things about the house. What time is your meeting with Sherry Sylvester today to talk about (laughs) that comment? (laughs) Uh, I'm sure it will be scheduled. The speaker speaker actually is protecting the house and his members, which is something that he has always done to some degree. What I have not seen in my experience with Strauss as speaker, him do as much with relish, as he seems to be doing at this session, is punching back. Protecting is yeah. one thing, punching back is another. He and is I do agree back. with Emily that a large part of it is Thank probably you. more responsive than uh, offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of how vocal and outspoken and how early on in this session uh, Dan Patrick has been. Well, you were tweeting earlier this week about, I mean, Dan Patrick, you know, in the first you had a story about Dan Patrick sort of making these comments about Strauss and about the House and, you know, them sort of taking their sweet time on certain things. But it, it seemed to get escalated this week when Dan Patrick started making comments about Strauss basically getting elected by Democrats? Yeah, this was in a radio interview uh, with Robert Pratt in, in Lubbock uh, a few days ago, I believe, earlier this week. And uh, in response to questions about tensions between the House and the Senate, uh, Dan Patrick, uh, you know, riffed on how uh, the, the two of them have different audiences, which isn't, you know, an inaccurate thing to say in terms of who elects them and who they're ultimately responsive uh, responsive to and who, who holds them accountable in terms of elections. Uh, but then he did, you know, kind of in my dig. view, slyly note uh, that Dan Patrick or that uh, the speaker, you know, ha- you know, rose to power as speaker and has continued to maintain power with the support of, of, dem- of many Democrats. The, the, the reality is, though, that even when the House was able to marshal some votes against the speaker in the last race, I believe that even if the Democrats had not voted, there were still enough Republicans to elect the speaker without the help sure. of Democrats last time. And of course, this time, all 150 members unanimous. voted for Strauss. I mean, the fact is, it is true that Democrats have voted for the speaker as as as, as it is true that the sun rises in the morning, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. 
But but what's interesting about that is not whether it's factually true or false, but that it's the kind of language that the most vociferous opponents of the speaker outside of the Capitol have used against him for Yeah, years. I mean, the talking, yes. you know, the, the messaging that Dan Patrick had in that radio interview was definitely the closest to session I've, I've seen him to come close to the, the closest I've seen his rhetoric to session lining up with the, the rhetoric of groups like Empower Tech. And the, yeah. and the right. Northeast Tarrant Tea Party, party. Exactly. this is, the, 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 yeah. the, the, the speaker's biggest opponents say precisely what the lieutenant governor factually, as it may have been, yeah. it's, it, they say exactly what the lieutenant yeah, governor. They were reading from the same playing hymnal. To the base. That's, that's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the right hymnal. good right. use of him. Yeah. What's right. been striking about the comments back and forth from Strauss and Patrick isn't that they're saying these things, but it's still so early in the session. You feel I feel like this stuff usually gets this aggressive in the last few weeks. Mm. And 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 when there's the kind of hostage taking, or you know, you sacrifice the wit, the hostage, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes even worse than just the taking of hostages is the killing of hostages. That happens toward the very back end, and it doesn't necessarily happen with this much of a of a preview, a foreshadowing of that, right? I mean, we know it happens, sure. but this is actually setting the table for a hell of a month of May, yeah. right? Uh, or maybe beyond. Well, just a reminder that if you are tuning in on Facebook, you can send questions our way. Right. I who's, mean, how... who's made vacation plans for June, by the way? I, I have, have not. I have not. Have you? <laughs> so are you? we? I mean, you don't go on vacation anyway. Have you? Have you made vacation plans? Maybe. <laughs> Amon can go on vacation. Cancelable? Did you pay the extra money to cancel those? Oh. He's got a kid. It won't be a vacation anyway. That's true. It's a trip. When you have a kid that age, it's not a vacation. It's a trip. So how far apart are the House and Senate on the budget? And, it, you know, given their sort of lack of funding for some of Abbott's big priorities, like, is a special session They were $5.3 billion apart prior to the Senate rating the transportation money, right? Right. And we don't have the House... Uh, appropriations yet, budget, yet. and we're days away from that, so presumably. So uh, we're going to get a much clearer picture. Can, next can the House p- pass a budget that assumes the use of rainy day fund money, or is that a separate process? Uh, I believe it would be separate, but I think you could put in the budget kind of wording about assuming right. this gets. A and where we stand on the rainy day fund in the House is that Chairman Zerwas has come out and said about two and a half billion dollars mm-hmm. from the rainy day fund would be about right. Right, and. Um, but you, it's not clear. I'm not even certain the votes in the House are there. There's, there for, the, are, for the rainy day fund? They need two-thirds. They need right. 100, right? And there are Republicans who are very wary of tapping that fund for almost So anything. if every Democrat voted for the rainy day fund, there are 56, 56 56. So if you have 56, you need 20 Republicans. Uh, pardon me. You need uh, 44 Republicans out of the balance to support so you actually could lose this is a bunch. You need Ross on the you trip. Could yes. lo- I need my abacus <laughs> yeah. also. You could lose a bunch of of Republicans. Oh sure, yeah. But the question is, are there enough Republicans who would support taking money from the rainy day fund to add to Democrats? I mean, there are certainly some Republicans. If they right. voted for that, they would be facing questions about it in their next primary. Do, do either of you have a sense of whether the Senate has the votes for the rainy day fund? No, I don't. Do either of you have a sense of whether we will be here for a special session? Well, apparently Amon won't. <laughs> Other than Amon, we're all back on here. here. I know. <laughs> I think I, that, I still think it's too early to tell. I mean, I think Greg Abbott, you know, to the extent that he will uh, emerge more publicly as the session goes on, will ultimately be the. the person He's actually that said that. repeatedly that he does not want. A yeah, special exactly. Well, no governors yeah. want a special yeah. session, right? Unless well, so they I, get, you know, I, I like into I a like corner. special sessions because I think it's interesting you to think see. It's good for Am- traffic. Amon, I once <laughs> tweeted about wanting a special session, and Amon re- referred to me as history's greatest monster. I stand by that. <laughs> I'm not history's greatest monster. I'm like in the top five, maybe. But I, I don't I, you share a birthday with Hitler? I do. <laughs> See? You know who else wanted a special session? <laughs> right. Totally. There you go. 
Okay. It's all coming together. Yeah, I think that Hitler video on YouTube, uh, right. uh, special session, that would actually be great. Right. Well, I mean, uh, should we anticipate Abbott becoming increasingly vocal over the? You know, it's it's been strange to me. Keep what waiting. Yeah, right. I mean, right? there's some things. You know, we know he wants pre-K funded. He, he's you know, been tweeting about sure. sanctuary cities over the last couple of days. Like it seems like every five minutes. Tweeting it's about not that, but we're not bit. sure still if he wants the bathroom bill. Um, you know, he was in Corpus Christi yesterday where he made sort of the loudest comments we'd heard about about local control and uh, or, would be a huge sea change in how texas runs texas right, if that so happened talk, <laughs> us, I mean, talk us through his remarks in corpus christi which seemed sure, really he, outsized he was he was appearing him. at an event in corpus christi for a conservative think tank and the topic of the conversation was uh quote unquote economic uh, freedom and local economic regulation and he was asked a specific question about uh, in a, a, a apparent proposal in the house um, that would be a, a sweeping local a sweeping way of reigning in local control basically would say no local jurisdiction can pass any regulation that is more onerous than what the state has already set kind of vague vague language and in response to that you know Abbott voiced agreement with that principle and said it in, and he said you know instead of taking these what he called rifle shot approaches to various local regulations like bag bans, like individual Uber ordinances. He said he would, uh, you know, he thinks a superior approach would be what he called a, a broad-based law that would preempt all these local regulations that he or I guess other other people who disagree with them view as as too onerous or above the standard that they should be at. So that, uh, which are I mean, which you, a pretty, I won't call it radical, but certainly a dramatic statement. And I was, you know, I was talking with someone yesterday. If if he had said this at an event in Austin. It would have been the story of the day yesterday. This, right. this was, you know, Corpus Christi yesterday was, was kind of a lesser noticed event. Well, it still was getting, uh, yeah. our story was yeah, getting yeah. a ton of traction online just because people were, I, I saw people on Twitter just kind of guessing like what this would mean. And one example that struck me was there are over 100 Texas cities with smoking bans. Right. So would Abbott, and there's no support in the legislature, or not, not enough support in the legislature for a statewide ban. And they've tried year right. over so year over So is right. Abbott suggesting we undo all of those? Yeah. Or like texting while driving bans. I mean, it, that one is one that you has know, not, despite Tom Craddock's efforts. I mean, is that that would basically unravel, you know, thousands of measures but the, at the there's local a, there's a, But there's a philosophical piece of this, which I think is as important as the substantive piece, and that is that we've seen a complete reversal in the position of the Republican Party in the main, which had always been about government at the... Uh, lowest common denominator. What is the old Thomas Jefferson quote about, you know, we want government to be at the point closest to those being governed. Mm -hmm. And it was always the Republican Party's mantra that we need to get out of the way of people to allow for government to uh, impact them kind of right at the local level. They were the big champions of local control for many years. And this, uh, I don't know how to take this other than. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I mean, maybe some people have misinterpreted what he said yesterday. It was definitely, you know, someone who was there. It was definitely more of a, he was making more of a philosophical statement than he was a legislative call to action. <laughs> you know, this is not a something, a proposal. Although there are bills. The I mean, the isn't there a bill? If the governor says it, it has sure. the. It has weight. the patina of sure. It certainly right? has the and, weight. Yeah. And I think his, you know, what's most interesting to me about his statements are, you know, when he's asked, "Isn't this hypocritical?" You know, you guys, you know, don't want the feds to intervene. You know, you say you're for local control at the sort of lowest common denominator level, yet now the state is trying to. Well, he you pulls know, out the civic. He and he, others pull out the civic textbook. He says at, it's at not about the state; it's about the human. Yeah, but you know, they, but they like, say what they say is that the state created the cities and the counties, and the state created the federal government. Therefore, the state, in all cases, is the last word on this stuff. And but yesterday. He was saying something different, which was that the 
that it's you know it's that it's about the individual person. You know, we are trying to protect the individual person from from any kind of regulation. This is the Don Huffines local liberty versus local control argument, yeah. right? That it's yeah, actually yeah. local mm-hmm. liberty that we're protecting. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so I mean, is he getting more vocal as the session goes on? I mean, you know, are we seeing it, and will we continue to see him? Well, look, I mean, he was vocal at the beginning of the session about the sanctuary cities debate. He wasn't necessarily vocal mm-hmm. about the legislative particulars of that debate, but he had a high profile on that issue. Um, he obviously has not weighed in in a, in a substantive way on the bathroom bill, other than to criticize the NFL for and you know he may never have to fight. if the, exactly I mean yeah. if the I mean, house is going to take it up, he dodges a bullet. You know, dealing with that strategically. Um, but I imagine, I mean, just the regular rhythm of the session, you know, I think will dictate that he'll become more vocal as these issues come more into focus than they already are now. Maybe we're just, <laughs> maybe we're so used to Dan Patrick and, right. and the sparring between Dan Patrick and increasingly Joe Strauss that <laughs> we're, we're judging Abbott by and, a and, different and also standard, Dan Patrick's habit of telling us every single opinion he has. Exactly. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. Just different political creatures. But yeah, but we're, I mean, traditionally. Political creatures have yeah. told you what, how they stand on things. I mean, d- do you think Rick Perry would not have weighed in on where he stood on a bathroom bill? I mean, can you think yeah, of? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. I, 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 I can't yeah. think of any like major <laughs> issues from past sessions where the governor has stood on the sidelines. It's, or mis- it's mystifying to me that he has felt what? it was his place to mm-hmm. take a strong position on school choice in sanctuary cities, but not on this bill. Mm-hmm. And the only way to interpret that is that he's not for it. I'm forgetting which election it was, whether it was 06 or 2010, but Rick Perry was running for re-election, and he never gave a clear answer on whether he thought a border wall was needed. <clears throat> and then as soon as he won a re-election, he said, only thing a 10-foot border wall would do is help the 11-foot oh, the, the the ladder industry. Business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, there, I mean, there have been times when he's been cautious and strategic mm-hmm. about what views he... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what Abbott is doing yeah. is giving Patrick and the people who support SB6 the ability to say, well, the governor is with us because it's a blank screen and you project whatever you want onto that screen. And it's mm-hmm. giving the people who don't support SB6 the ability to say, well, look, the governor hasn't come out for it, so I've got cover. It's giving him incredible political cover. I mean, if... Giving who? Giving who Abbott. Oh. The question is whether it's leadership. I mean, or the question is whether this bill is on the right side or the wrong side of, of history. <laughs> And it might be giving him the opportunity to, you know, to wait and see where that, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that, you know, by him, by Abbott, maybe not being vocal on on other issues, Mm -hmm. that continues to allow us to focus so intensely on where is Abbott on the bathroom bill. Right. You know, if if there were other issues on a week-to-week basis that he was on Fox News or on radio stations talking about, maybe there wouldn't be such an intense focus in quarters like these about, you know, his silence in the bathroom bill. Well, and Ross Ramsey uh, had in his column today that uh, something that a lot of us have been hearing around the House that it's, it's debatable whether it's true, but there's this sense that uh, a lot of House members feel last session Abbott told them, I will be with you if you vote for pre-K and get slammed for it. And be you with know. you, meaning I'll come campaign with right. you. Right. And now there is a sense a lot, among a lot of members that Abbott did not fulfill his end of the bargain on that and did not help them out when they asked for it. Um, hmm. And whether that's true or misinterpreted or what, as Ross wrote in his column, there's that perception there. And so it also brings the question of when Abbott does start speaking more forcefully, will he? Will they believe him? Well, and it doesn't seem like they're, you know, even making an effort to get in line behind the governor on some of these key budget priorities. I mean, given pre-K is you know, well, look, let's acknowledge baby. that the governor's emergency items during the state of the state mm-hmm. ethics sailed through the Senate, right? Sank cities, sailed through the yeah, Senate, and in all likelihood, yeah. Senate, yeah. Right. I mean, you can go down a list. Right. It's not that the governor's had a bad session. Governor's had a good session in terms of the stuff that he said were his priorities. Pre-K accepted, because right, right now that's a hot potato politically. Right. Um, 
It's just that the governor has chosen stylistically to be different than the people who preceded mm-hmm. him in the job. Well, maybe B- both works. Perry and Bush, and for that matter, I think Richards had different ways at this. Mm-hmm. Abbott's got his own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do, how strongly has Abbott come out on this uh, school choice, on the voucher stuff? Well, I mean, he appeared with Dan Patrick at a rally mm-hmm. on the Capitol steps that he wants to sign, uh, you know, a school choice bill. Um, he but told it's not him, one of his was not one of his priorities this year. Not or an was emergency. It, not it was not an emergency right. item for Abbott. Right. Um, I think you could view it as not an emergency item, but perhaps a priority for Abbott. I mean, mm-hmm. he's told he told reporters in December that he wants to sign the you know the most pro school choice bill that makes it to his desk. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's endorsed a specific piece of legislation, but it's it's very clear that he's on Dan Patrick's side. Um, in that push. Mm-hmm. Well, we've obviously had Huberty in the House saying, you know, school choice is not going to move over here this session. So where does that leave this legislation? What's the what's the status right now? I don't believe they took a vote yesterday in the Education Committee, did they? They, they did didn't. not. No. <coughs> Although they listened, you know, to testimony for like nine Look, if you nine t- hours if you talk to members of the House, Republicans and Democrats, in almost every case, and you ask them about school choice, they say it's going nowhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the conventional wisdom, and the conventional wisdom can be wrong, right? Conventional wisdom is that the bill's going nowhere. But it's been that way for several sessions now. Right. It can get out of the Senate, but it's dead in the House. Right. But this week there's been a whole lot more drama around this issue over, you know, letters that are basically a, a letter-writing campaign. Evan, what do you know about that? Correct. So I'm, I'm pulling up the exact language of this so I get it right. Um, the, 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 there's been a, a lot of controversy around letters that were received by um, legislators. members, legislators, a lot of Republican members rural members, the kinds of people who don't necessarily support um, this legislation. And the, the, the thrust of it was that um, these letters are coming from, in some cases, dead people. In some cases, they're coming from uh, in, in the names of people who say that they never sent the, uh, the letters. It's several members of the House. I believe there have actually been some received by members of the Senate as well. Subsequent reporting on that. Drew Springer's name came up. Um, as one example of somebody who received more than 500 letters between the middle of February and the middle of March. And they were, uh, and it was, uh, you know, essentially they were all addressed from Austin. They had the full names and, and addresses of constituents at the bottom. He started calling around in Springer's case. He's again the poster child for this. And it turned out that the people who were said to have sent the letters didn't know. There was an interesting one that made news because of the, the alleged sender, Rick Hardcastle, who was the former occupant of the seat supposedly had sent a letter and he said no i actually don't believe in vouchers i didn't send the letter it's it's been interesting so jd sheffield's another one who received some letters and again i said members of both the house and senate have, have done it i'm curious from a david farenthal let's crowdsource the origin of this or let's do the the un the unmasking or the unveiling i'd love to know uh, who sent these letters mm-hmm. there is no clarity yet as to who is responsible for this um, and I think it's had a negative impact. I mean, if the if the thought here was we're going to pressure people in rural communities to support vouchers as a consequence of this letter writing campaign, um, it seems like all it's done is hardened the opposition of the, of those people. It hasn't had the effect that was intended. Well, and it has made it look like there's something you know super sketchy going on behind the scenes, which right. doesn't make yeah. lawmakers happy. Uh, question from Jake Thomas on Facebook. Has there been any discussion on public school choice in the legislature this session, as in allowing kids going to one public high school to go to another versus the sort of private school about well, I think it's already legal for mm-hmm. you, you to, to take your kid out of a school that's not working in your district, is it not, and put them in another school in the district? I 
I don't know if it depends on the district. I know you can do it in a lot of districts. Yeah, I think that's legal. Um, you know, that's one of the arguments that gets made in response to people like us sitting around a table like this one talking about school choice is that when you talk about school choice, you're really talking about vouchers when, in fact, school choice encompasses a great many other things. This is the argument you hear from some people in the House who don't particularly like the Senate's version of this conversation but have their own version that they'd like to be promoting. When you say, well, the House is not for school choice, they say not true. The House is for different kinds of choice, some that exist and some that could exist. They're just not the same things that the Senate is after. Or Right. They don't want vouchers for private school. They don't want to divert money from public right. their public school system to private schools. Um, well, speaking of schools, AG Ken Paxton came out swinging this week on another school-related issue. This one involved a North Texas school that was setting aside a room for Muslim students to to pray. What What is the flap there, and why is this a deal? Sure. So Ken Paxton's office sent a, a letter, I believe, to Frisco Independent School District raising concerns about this uh, prayer room at one of its schools there had been a, I believe, student newspaper or student broadcast outlet who had done a piece on An it. An 11th grader, yeah. <laughs> and that appears to be what he's, uh, Paxton cited in his letter. And in, in That's going to be a great line in their college <laughs> well, application. Yeah. Ken Paxton cited plug. my yeah, newspaper. Exactly. They're definitely going to Northwestern. And, and he's, yeah. he's, <laughs> he, he's, I think there's still he, time to apply to Medill right now. Yeah. He's, yeah. Like, uh, he's like the Judge Napolitano of the story, right? Yeah. right. Anyways, this news clipping and this news piece that the, the student newspaper or the student news outlet did, uh, I guess it prominently featured Muslim students praying in this prayer room. And I guess Ken Paxson took that as, as, as a, a potential sign that this uh, prayer room is being singled out for only use by one religion. Uh, I've, I've looked at the broadcast segment online. I don't see any uh, suggestion of that in the piece. And so he raised concerns. Frisco ISD ultimately got back to, to him and said or responded to his letter and said, um, anyone is free to use this prayer room. And also, and they you also didn't said, call me before exactly, you put out this. Exactly, and they said you never called ahead before you put out this news release on this letter. Um, so it seems like a nothing burger. Um, it, it, uh, it, I mean, this is from the same guy. What I don't understand about this is this is the same guy who wanted to make sure that, you know, the Peanuts, you know, Christmas special picture was remained up on the walls and the cheerleaders could have their bible right verse banner i mean there is only one way you can look at this which is when it's muslim students suddenly it's a cause for alarm right right and this seems like a stretch even by some of the other issues that that you mentioned that he's engaged in in the name of religious liberty are you for prayer in school or are you not well and especially because there isn't I, i don't believe there's any student who's asking to use the room that was denied or you know there's 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 no sense that there's this group that's like banging on the door trying to get in and no one's letting them in right and i think they've had this group for i think i read or they've had this room for seven years now with no problems right. all or, the other religious liberty issues involving schools that have yeah. come up in texas it's been some group or student that's been you know stopped from doing something i mean so do we think they got a complaint do we think abbott's office spends a lot of time you know Paxton. reading pa- i mean paxton's office well, spends did a tweet about it oh all right yeah. well, so everybody <laughs> does do you think paxton's so he has office an opinion is, on yeah. that yeah right well actually he just tweeted the news <laughs> i don't think you offered anything about it. <laughs> he tweeted the news that paxton got involved <laughs> yeah retweet does not equal endorsement yeah, exactly. right. Right. <laughs> right exactly right. so i mean how do we think this came down do we you know well look i mean it could paxton have been reads school newspapers or paxton you know 
uh, look, a parents... it, it could have been parents, you know, look, don't, who, don't who dis saw the Frisco this. Newspaper. Yeah. I, I'm all for the Frisco <laughs> newspaper. newspaper. It could have been parents who saw this this newspaper. news segment and, and thought just by Rich their uh, their viewing of the news segment that this was a room that was favoring one religion over another. Again, I watched the news clip and it, it, it does focus on how Muslim students uh, use the room. And so I guess there are people, you know, who maybe got the wrong impression that this was uh, violating the separation of church and state. But let's just agree that if this story had been about evangelical Christians using a room to pray, it probably would have been, you know, promoted from on high. You, you sure right. you were watching? This was a news story? This was I, an I'm episode right of there. Homeland? <laughs> exactly. You sure? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's getting I'm much harder here. to watch TV these days, given the news. Like the Americans and Homelander documentaries at this point. <laughs> right. It sounds like a plot line, yeah. doesn't it? Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's... It's, it seems like it's dying down now, especially that Frisco ISD has come out and responded to it. But otherwise, as I said, it seems like not much. All right. Well, finally, I want to just give a little bit of time to a great uh, story that Jim Malowitz had uh, this week about the GOP party chairman, Tom Meckler, uh, doing what looked an awful lot like lobbying, uh, something he's not registered to do. Um, at best, he was calling in a favor, it looks like, with, with Ryan Sitton, the railroad commissioner, who read Jim's story and can give us the skinny. Well, I read it. Well, I, thought you meant, I thought you meant Ryan Sitton had read Jim's story. <laughs> oh, no. Which of you oh, okay. we qualified all individuals? We all read Jim's well, story. Look, okay. We work here. Meckler, who's an oil guy from, from West Texas. I'm paraphrasing Jim's story right now. If you <laughs> right. can't tell, then people aren't watching God. on the it's live already, stream. <laughs> it's already sounding folksy, just like Jim's writing. You know, he sought to, to get the Railroad Commission to intervene in, in a dispute, I believe, with a, a pipeline company. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, in this... In, in these interactions that Meckler had, he was wearing multiple hats, and that certainly raised some questions. Right. This is as, what he does for a living. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. And he is the Republican Party chairman, mm-hmm. so I imagine he can get meetings with elected officials much easier than the average citizen. But mm-hmm. either you register or you don't. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, what is weird about this is that there are normal challenge, normal channels that folks go through to try to get these disputes resolved at the at the railroad commission, and you know, when you're the GOP chairman and you're you know friends with one of the commissioners. It's, it's, I think, a lot easier to go to one of the commissioners and have the commissioner say, you know what, I'll intervene in this case and I'll help help mediate it, which is what happened. But I do think it was uh, notable that Jim, you know, sought to interview the two other commissioners and got, you know, large no comments from both of them, which to me suggests that, you know, the other commissioners <coughs> thought this was problematic or at least weird. Yeah. Um, and Meckler, just you know, his response to this was not lobbying. Uh, he said he was just bringing an issue of, of, of importance to the attention of uh, the Railroad Commission, and then he wasn't getting paid for this uh, effort. That said, if, if that wasn't considered lobbying, he did um, send suggested legislation to lawmakers, right. which is also something lobbyists do. I mean, I guess it's just a question of what, you know, what is he paid for exactly as a consultant, and mm. did those people who paid him expect this kind of Access. Work. Yeah. Right. Boy, the Railroad Commission is an interesting body, isn't it? Interplay between those commissioners. It's a strange, a, a, a ripe for a lot of terrific journalism. <laughs> it's like a reality <laughs> show. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, speaking of journalism, I just wanted to make sure to remind our listeners that we have this cool new ledge tool. It's a little bot. Her name is Paige. Uh, she Evan loves that name, by the way. Paige? I, I, I cracked up at the thought. Yeah, it's like, Paige, it's yes. hilarious. It's oh, genius. Paige. It's great. Paige will alert you to breaking news and other key topics out of the ledge by way of Facebook Messenger. Uh, it's You can sign up by messaging hello to m.me slash Texas Tribune. Bobby helped me get all this together to make sure that 
folks do it. So um, sign up and you will get little cute messages from our robot friend. Uh, all right. <laughs> cute messages about the bathroom bill and school choice. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Breaking news from our robot friend. All right, uh, that's all the time we have. If you have questions or comments, you can email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. And if you value the Tribune's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan, Amon, Patrick, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. like the Andy Richter of this talk show. I don't actually say anything substantive. Uh, I mostly pick on Svitek for being from the Midwest. Uh, and then we're going to talk about Pac-Man. <laughs> That's kind of my job. <laughs>